Hey there, before heading into the episode, I wanted to give a quick trigger warning. This show touches on eating disorders. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I have my trusty sidekick, Molly Williams, with me. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Glad to be back in the studio bedroom. I'm glad to have studio bedroom, storage room, yes. With Alex? <laughs> yep. Sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound weird, yeah. Um, so, and, and since this is podcast, people can't see us, we are wearing matching outfits. We look super cute. We look super cute in our mod cloth outfits. Alex didn't wear his <laughs> but he looks cute in his little gingham shirt doesn't he exactly he's it's kind he, of mod clothy and yeah think. he is he's dorothy over there <laughs> too bad the uh tornado didn't blow him in on time <laughs> Ooh, burn burn um, no but we're wearing cute shorts and little sleeveless tank tops so um i i posted a picture on i'm going to post a picture on instagram that yeah. phoebe kindly took for us before the show started but who wore it best <laughs> <laughs> Who are <aren't> worst? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So Molly, we haven't seen each other much. I know you've been traveling and then I hurt my knee. I know. I know. Wah, wah. I know and I don't know what happened, but it got to the point where I just couldn't run at all. It was an excruciating pain for two weeks. I'm tired of telling the story, so I'm going to make it fast, but <laughs> it, it's getting better. I've been doing acupuncture and it's been getting better. I saw PT. Nobody knows what's wrong but it seems to be okay now so i'm just gonna start back with the mileage and so we ran four um nice yeah. easy miles this morning and you were saying that it, it could have though been a meniscus tear i still think it i think it was a combination of things i do have a little pain on the inside on the lower part of my knee where your medial meniscal would tear, meniscus would tear but uh they also think maybe a baker's cyst mm-hmm. and then at the end of our run i did have a little pressure behind the knee but you know oh. on that scale of one to ten it's like a one mm-hmm. so we'll i'll just see how it goes with the mileage you know mm-hmm. as i start to amp up and mm-hmm. see what the pain's like good 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 well gosh I, t- I, I mean honestly i mean not to get maudlin but there was a point in the then i ran 14 miles this weekend and there was a point that i was thinking about you and I almost started to sob. Aww. Like I missed you so much. I was out so in this sweet. hot, unshaded part out actually near the Portland Speedway and I just was like, oh, keep it together, Sarah. Keep it together. Don't start crying. Don't start crying. And I, I like had to like consciously distract myself. Aww. And um, I don't know. It reminds me that there's like some fear in going out there to run long mm-hmm. and that I remember you told me about that when you had trained for your first marathon when we weren't actually um to my recollection we weren't running partners then no and I'm, we were certainly friends yeah but oh. I was way too slow and um so and that that you said how you'd be like almost paralyzed by fear the thought of just going out there mm-hmm. and running long and I don't know I mean I'm it's it's nowhere near that but there is just this sense those first couple steps it's like I'm going out and going for 14 miles by myself like Where there's and, bears and who knows what I don't know just that you got to keep moving the whole time you know and that mm-hmm. that yeah that I, I don't know it just is um it, it has reminded me that um it can be daunting it's so rewarding I mean gosh when I was done at the end of my 14 miles on Saturday I just was like, hot damn, that was so good. I had to have a strong finish. I'm following, we're both following the um, Crush the Distance uh, marathon plan from Coach Amanda in the Train Like a Mother Club. And so had to finish strong. So was supposed to um, have a strong finish for the last two or three miles. And I like exactly hit what I wanted to and I felt really good. And and so I, I was very proud, but I, it was such a mixture of emotions. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think marathon training is meet your demons and Mm -hmm. be prepared to meet your demons. Mm -hmm. You're going to go through a lot of different emotions out there, a lot of time in your head. Mm -hmm. And you can try to avoid it by podcasts and music, but you're going to meet your demons. Right. They still, they still talk. Mm -hmm. Did I mean like I did with the missing you so desperately? Sometimes you have to like almost physically push them aside. And for me, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, like, okay, well think about, you know, what the, what letter you'll write to the twins tomorrow or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, Peter Segel talked about that. And like, uh, I don't know if it was on a podcast or it was in Runner's World about uh, kind of getting the feelies oh. when he when he ran. And I do that, too. I think about the people I love. and Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I think about the people I don't love. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. But but yeah. Oh, How I important mean, they are. Uh, and that and running, you know, is uh, it is a solo sport. But you know, as we talked about before, it's you need your team. If you don't have the support of those people behind you, it's really hard to get out the door and do the things you want to do. And so you think about mm-hmm. how grateful you are for all the the people mm-hmm. in your life that help you do what you want to do and achieve what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, you asked me, you're like, oh, so do you procrastinate not a lot? Do you like take mm-hmm. time? To, and I'm like, no, because like, I just know if I don't, you know, particularly in the summer, like the higher the sun gets, the worse the run gets, which kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Oh, good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did have a, um, uh, did have a happy bright spot on the run on uh, Saturday, which was I found, found overall I think I found 48 cents but 11 of those pennies were one of my most intrepid finds ever oh do tell yes yes so um so I was running and this was an out and back part of the um, route and it was kind of a deserted part for people who know Portland it was um near the raceway and um that trail I don't know if that trail even has a name but it's paved and so anyway so on the way out I saw this oh the one on top of the slough Yes, exactly. Ooh, you ran out there by yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was a um, uh, there, there are this, a, a myriad of homeless camps all up and down that slough. Fewer than there used to be, though. Oh, you can't see them all because the foliage is up. <laughs> oh, that could be true. That and, could be true. But so this was definitely the, what I, what I encountered was definitely um, detritus from some uh-huh. indigent people. And so um, you didn't find an indigent person and go through their pockets. No, <laughs> no, no, I did not. Okay. So, so I draw the line somewhere <laughs> thinking of that corridor that I saw right near that homeless woman's hand that I was you with did Will, not that I did up. not take that was so um but it's still in my mind nearly <laughs> a year later <laughs> so anyway so I was running and so there was this um small roller bag that had been opened like so so like a small carry-on that you would take on a plane mm-hmm. um that's called a carry-on and uh so and a lot of the contents of it had been burned not the oh, bag a good sign <laughs> So, so I, you know, veered around it and then was coming back and I suddenly just got my spidey sense, as you call it, mm-hmm. came on and I was like, there's change in that thing. There's change in that underneath those charred remains. And so... There's also a needle. <laughs> well, that was the thing. Okay. So, so I started pushing out with my shoe and with my foot and sure enough, immediately found like four pennies that oh. were, they were so almost they weren't charred because they're metal but they were covered with such charred material it was almost impossible to see them mm-hmm. but then the I heroin turns black when it's cooked <laughs> oh, I mean you, I, we, I we shouldn't know, joke actually. I mean there probably yeah, was yeah so, probably was yeah so then I moved it around a little bit and it was it was it was almost like a pinata or something <laughs> because, because I would move something around and I'm like oh look there's another penny there's another penny and there was speaking of needles there was a um, pair of cut off shorts in the burnt out stuff the cut off shorts themselves had not been singed at all mm-hmm. but i did draw the line there even though the pockets might have produced some change i'm like yeah i'm gonna get a stick i'm gonna poke yeah. my finger if i reach into those so you were really careful as you kind of poked around i was yeah. and then when i um so i finally got so i got 11 cents and i put it in my um you know, pocket and was running on and then i felt like i had something in the bottom of my shoe and about a quarter mile later, I um, stopped and lifted my foot. And there was a piece of glass in the bottom of my shoe. Uh-huh. And it, it wasn't pushing all the way through. I mean, you know, my the outsole is thick enough. But, you know, I, I got that out of there. And the, the that was definitely what was causing the issue. It was just kind of jammed up in there. You picked that up from the bag? I, or just well, on well, the... Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So don't need to get uh, tested for Hep C just yet. <laughs> I don't. I don't. So um, definitely. So I, I put up the um, the burned one, the the charred money on Instagram, and asked people if they would have pushed through it. And I think there was uh-huh. only one person who said they would have. <laughs> so then Aaron in Illinois I was like, no, I steer clear of of charred yeah, things. Yeah, I, th- uh, I think people are wise. Yeah, yeah. So and then <laughs> I did. I found a um, a penny and then two more pennies and then in I channeled my inner Molly and I'm like okay I'm looking around I'm looking mm-hmm. around and I saw something under this was right next to a parked SUV and so I knelt down and because I'd had an Instagram exchange with this woman Janet who had said that she found a dollar twenty five. Wow. And that her husband had mocked her for kneeling down and looking under the car, but that's where she found Well the... she's not sharing it with him. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. It may not be the only thing she's not sharing with him. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> with comments like that, honey. Um, so, uh, so anyway, yeah. So I found ultimately around that SUV, I found twenty five cents. So well, look at you. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So I'm coming home with very full pockets, but an empty heart, Molly. So. And today we went for a run, and you found a penny, yeah. and I found nothing. <laughs> and you could have offered me the penny just as like, oh, here for being back on the run, a friend is giving you a penny, but it didn't occur to you, and so now I won't take it. <laughs> if I go back, but no, you did, but I did give nope. you, I gave you credit for you found a penny oh, you just found as one Im- embedded that you couldn't pick up, and <laughs> I'm going to take John back, and we're going to get it. That does not but count. But since then, I have thought about well, uh, if we pop it out of the pavement do i drop it off and give it to molly i don't want it i don't want your penny <laughs> i don't want your no, stinking I don't want your tarry penny. money no nope. nope. i'll find my own i think you're you're double what i've found so far oh my goodness i mean so that was a good run back because you always find more money than i do so we're on on course oh my goodness, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> all right oh my goodness so well um We've gotten our laughs in in the intro, uh, which is a good thing because today's topic is a serious one, and we'll be talking to two guests about it. It's amenorrhea, which is the tough-to-spell term for cessation of menstrual periods, in this case due to exercise. First, we'll talk to former professional runner Tina Muir, who didn't have a period for nine years. Yes, you heard that right, nine years during her pro-running career, which she recently quit in an effort to start a family. Then we'll be speaking to a doctor who studies and treats amenorrhea at Stanford University. It's an intriguing topic, so stay with us after this quick break. Welcome, Tina. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I am really excited to be here. This is something I've always hoped someday I would be able to do. <laughs> oh, you're such a dear heart. To be on another Mother Runner podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'm oh. serious. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, That's you great. guys are big time. And, uh, you know, that was something that if I was on the Another Mother Runner podcast, then I obviously was... Uh, oh, had something yeah. to talk about that was worthwhile. So there's two parts to that. There we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> We're going to save that for a little later mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. But Teaser. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, Tina, welcome to the show. And uh, tell us about your running and how you got started uh, as a professional runner and all that. Yeah, so, um, well, as people can tell, I, I am from uh, Great Britain, um, mm-hmm. but I actually live in the US. I live in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, which is not what people expect when they hear I am British, but uh, my husband <laughs> and I live here and we like it here. And I've been in the US about 10, uh, 10 or 11 years now, I think. And uh, I originally came here on scholarship, uh, a full ride scholarship for my running because I was pretty good in in England, I finished 16th um, in high school in England. And so that got me a scholarship and I came over here not really knowing what to expect. And actually looking back, it's kind of funny. I uh, moved over here, hadn't visited the university, didn't know anything about the university really. And so if I think about now, how many ways that could have gone wrong, it's kind of a bit scary. Wait, Um, which which school was it? Sorry, yeah, I went to Ferris State in Michigan Oh, okay. It's, All right. Uh, okay. Not many people have heard of it. It's Division Two school. It's uh, yeah, up in the northern part of Michigan, not in the Upper Peninsula, but the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. Uh-huh. So it was cold and snowy, but made me nice and tough, which uh, helped me. I ended up as an eleven-time All-American, which is wow. just kind of a accolade you get for um, finishing at the top basically within your division Um, and then that kind of led me on to a professional career which I wasn't really expecting and I guess I didn't even really kind of class myself as a professional runner because I still always had a full-time job to go with it. Um, I didn't even think I could handle being a full-time professional where you know your life revolves around running. I've never been that kind of person so Mm. even though I was technically a professional runner it didn't really feel like that to me it just felt like it was my hobby that I obviously put a lot of time into Um, so I continued to run for Saucony who were very uh, supportive of me and great that they gave me all the resources I need and you know how many shoes we go through so that was that was obviously great to have them Um, and then yeah I continued to move up the ranks Uh, my first marathon I ran 249 it was a absolute disaster but um I just (laughs) everything that went wrong could have gone wrong for me and so that I was really looking back it's funny but I was really disappointed at the time even though I know most runners would kill to run that time but I was um really upset with it at the time which you know I can laugh about it now 
Um, but I ended up shaving another, um, well, what would that be? Uh, 13 minutes off 13 my minutes, time yeah. to run, mm-hmm. um, 2.36. Uh, by the time I, um, well, I guess that was last December, and mm-hmm. I represented Great Britain in uh, two world championships, which was pretty exciting for me as that had always been kind of the the lifetime goal. You know, even when I was 14 years old, I was like, one day I want to run for Great Britain. So mm-hmm. last year I was able to do it twice. So that was just amazing for me. Nice, nice, nice. So what, if you say 2.49 was disappointing in your first marathon, what were you gunning? What time were you aiming for? Um... I was the the craziest thing is I'm a big fan of um, visualization and mm-hmm. I had been planning on running under 240 you know 239 something mm-hmm. and I'd visualized it so much and thought about it so much that I hadn't even considered the fact that I might not run that time oh, so wow. for a while it kind of took me a while to actually be like I didn't do it because I was so I don't know I just I guess it was like with other distances you can kind of grit your way through but you can't do that with a marathon as as most (laughs) people who have run marathons know so um, I was going for 240 but um you know so nine minutes off now I see in a marathon isn't that much but at the time it felt like forever away right 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 so so you're no stranger to recording a podcast since you now have your own show called Mm -hmm. running for real with Tina Muir and previously hosting runners connect run to the top so um you know tell folks about so you were a professional runner like did you do other things during that time and I mean how did you get into the podcast yeah so actually um uh, yeah as I said I I don't really handle just being a runner um Mm -hmm. full-time so I always wanted another job and in 2014 uh, Runners Connect hired me as their community manager so Mm -hmm. I was in charge of all the social media all the blog content although I didn't write the articles I just kind of rounded up the articles from the writers um, Mm -hmm. and kind of was just involved in everything to do with the brand image um, and that also involved kind of uh, I guess uh, inheriting a podcast Uh, at the Uh time it had about 10,000 downloads a month Uh, it been on a hiatus and it just wasn't doing that well and so Uh I kind of made that my mission channeled a lot of my competitiveness into like (laughs) I want to make this successful Um, Uh and over time I grew it and you know people seemed to really enjoy it and um, it was really fun I kind of took experts and elite runners and nutritionists and kind of hit all areas within the running world but trying to make sure it was actionable for people and asking Uh questions that like required a bit more research like if they had a book I would read the entire book and make notes the whole way through so uh-huh, I really uh-huh. prided myself on that and yeah it was fun and um and then in March this year I decided I kind of wanted to go out on my own uh-huh. and uh yeah the running for real podcast the running for real business was started and it's all kind of about just being kind of who you are and not you know there, there's so many things that only runners understand and only um you know, only people who put all this time and energy into things understand and non-runners have no idea what we're actually doing. And so I wanted a place where people can be honest and kind of share share the true sides of running rather than just kind of what we see on social media, which is that everything is wonderful all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Sounds like some other podcasts I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So you're going to tell us about uh, not having your period for like nine years, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's definitely a bit of a shocker when people read it. And um, it's funny at the beginning, people were saying, you know, I'd, I'd have these random people saying, Oh well, that that sounds great. I I would love to not have it, and and you know, obviously there were some perks that I didn't really have to worry about carrying anything with me. I could just kind of live my life. I didn't really have the ups and downs in, you know, in hunger and mood and anything really. I just kind of was like even keel, which you know was obviously great. But at the end of the day, I I was very aware that having a period is a is you know a feminine thing to do, and I couldn't do it, and it kind of made me feel broken to be honest like I Mm. felt like something was wrong with me and Mm -hmm. why what was wrong with my body why couldn't it function and you know it's hard not to compare especially when I'm in an elite world and you know there's other runners around me who are running 
you know, 40 miles a week more than I was um, when I was running 90. <laughs> so mm -hmm. quite a lot. But um, and they were getting theirs and there was other runners who were, you know, real thin and they were getting theirs and I wasn't. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was very hard not to compare and no one really discussed it. No one said anything. It was kind of a very taboo topic. And even doctors just brushed it off and said, we'll just stop mm. running. And, you know, oh, at really? the time, as a someone whose career was that, I couldn't exactly just be like, oh, you know, just stop running just like that. So, and actually and that's these were funny athletic we're going to talk about that, that in a minute, but. Yeah, even your uh, your athletic doctors said, don't worry about it. I mean, I can maybe see a GP being like, oh, well, you just stop running. But I imagine you had doctors through the running world that knew what you were doing and they weren't concerned either. Um, well, actually, I didn't really have like athletic doctors or anything. I wasn't really at the level where you can kind of get that. You have okay. to be either with a professional group that you know, is um, one of the major ones, which I wasn't partly because uh, being an international athlete, um, I wasn't allowed in almost all of them because, mm -hmm. and I can completely understand because then it would just be completely filled with international runners, but mm -hmm. um, I wasn't allowed in those groups. So I didn't really have access to specific doctors. I had a lot of great um, people who reached out to me offering help and I would speak to them and they would be helpful, but there wasn't any uh, you know, athletic doctor I worked with on a regular basis. I did speak to, you know, dietitians and nutritionists and um, kind of all kinds of consultants just trying to figure out what was going on and what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so no one really found anything. All my blood work was good. Yeah, you weren't blowing it off. You were actively looking for a reason and a, th a therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I'm I mean, surprised. at the beginning, yeah. I wasn't. It's, okay. uh, it's kind of easy to kind of say to yourself oh you know oh oh I'm really busy this month I'll figure it out next month and absolutely and then you keep pushing it off so for about five years I just didn't even really pay attention and then and after you were a so while young. I was thinking mm -hmm. yeah. yeah exactly that's another thing yeah it wasn't even in my mind no how old were you when you started menstruating um I think I was about 15 uh -huh. um but I did have I had it regular for a while and then it went away when I started training harder and then like it came 18? back again when I uh, went a bit down, too far down the partying lifestyle as a teenager. <laughs> um, and then it went again when I started training hard again. <laughs> uh huh. So you had had some in there. Yeah, there was definitely periods of like reg regular um, cycles that um, uh -huh. were, you know, easy for me to kind of say that I had been regular and kind of know what was normal for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how old are you now? I am about to turn 29. So, because I'm I'm just a couple years older than you, I'm fifty. <laughs> but uh, as as basically your mother, I'm surprised nobody was concerned about this. I mean, really? Yeah, it was, it was frustrating as well because I kept asking people. I probably spoke to twelve to fifteen different people, and wow. everyone's solution was, "Well, you're just training too hard. It's just the running. So you'll just have to mm -hmm. stop running when when it's time." and so I could, you know, so then when they'd say that, I'd kind of push it to the back of my mind for a little while. And then, you know, maybe someone would mention their periods or someone would say about, um, you know, getting a stress fracture because they um, have low bone density, then it would kind of panic me again. And mm -hmm. that was the hard thing, even though it was a blessing. It was, I never had a bone, I never had a stress fracture. I never had, mm. you know, bone issues. I never had any of the kind of other warning signs that people get. So mm -hmm. that made it very easy for me to just kind of brush it under the carpet. Yep, sure, absolutely. Sure. Tell yourself the story you want to hear. Yeah, and you're you're still young yeah. now. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you keep not having a period, and you get into your older years, then you have more complications. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so, but with all these doctors telling you to to you know, well, just stop running, and then you'll get your period back. That ultimately is what you did. Um, mm -hmm. That you quit professional running in an effort to revive your menstrual cycle, and it really created quite a stir in the running world. And yeah. um, so, what was it like to be the center of a controversy like that? And because when you and I had lunch, I forget what month that was, but it was I remember it was a very dreary day, other than our lunch it was together. December. Okay, yeah, I was like, what's, it seemed the, the winter here seemed like one big gray day, so I couldn't quite place it. <laughs> but um, so, and and when uh, when we had lunch, we definitely talked about your amenorrhea and and how. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, people implied that you weren't eating enough. And, you know, I mean, you and I ordered different things for lunch, but it wasn't like you sat there and 
picked it, you know, a piece of lettuce mm-hmm. and drank some water. You know, you were, you seemed like a very hearty eater to me. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, that's what's kind of was difficult and why I kept quiet for so long. I've always been someone who prided myself on being honest. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was hiding this big lie because I wasn't telling that many people about it. And, um, you know, it was mainly because of, uh, yeah, like I said, because I feared that people would say, well, you just need to eat more. And I would get people say that, especially I would get people who, you know, I'd I'd been around them, other, other professional runners who had, barely eaten would skip meals all the time but they would get their cycles and they'd say we just need to eat more and I'm like what like I'm (laughs) eating every meal I'm eating snacks I'm eating enough um and I hadn't like I said dietitians nutritionists say well you're fine it doesn't seem to be the diet end of things so Mm -hmm. uh yeah it was very frustrating and and when when it kind of came out um I did say to uh, a few people who had been in a similar boat to me um, other professional runners that I'd spoken to or other people who were kind of um, going through or maybe a few steps ahead of what I was d- preparing to do. I said to them, when I go out with this, I'm going after it. And I, I vowed that. I was like, I am going to make this public. I'm going to mm. really, uh, you know, use my connections, use my relationships in the media to get this out there. And I didn't, I didn't expect it to take off the way it did. I didn't expect, you know, People Magazine or Self or ESPN to go after it. So that kind of took me by surprise that it blew up the way it did. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was just good because it started getting so much exposure and I couldn't believe the amount of women who reached out to me and said, I'm going through this too. I'm going through this. You know, I've been through this. And that I just, it blew my mind, the amount of people that were mm-hmm. just saying that they'd been through the same thing of all levels, of all speeds, of all, you know, all walks of life, even people who, um, you know, were moving house and they were stressed. So I had no idea it was as big as it was. And I feel... Um, thankful now that maybe it's kind of getting to the point where people are going to push their doctors um, more than just kind of saying you need to eat more um, or you need to stop running and you know I don't know which of the factors it was that helped me I mean I did stop running I didn't run a step for 10 weeks I gained 15 pounds that could have been either of those factors Mm -hmm. Um, but you know at the end of the day it was um I kind of like that I was the kind of guinea pig that if you are willing, if you really want children enough or you really want to get your period back enough and you're willing to kind of take a giant leap of faith, it will pay off. But um, I know there's also people who that is absolutely terrifying. And if someone had said to me two years ago, stop running completely, I would have told them where to go. Um, (laughs) But uh, if you're at the right point, then, you know, it was good to kind of be the proof that it works. Right, right. And you've, so you've now alluded to um, things a little bit, but um, please share your um, development with listeners who don't already know your news. Yeah, so as, um, (laughs) I guess it was maybe my reward for doing it the way I did that, you know, I I allowed my body to put on that weight. I didn't run. I, you know, forced myself to relax and cut things out. But um, yeah, without even having a single period, the first egg my body had released in nine years, um, I managed to get pregnant with. And um, so, yeah, yeah you're I'm not now, having a period uh, for a whole nother reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. And that's what, yeah, it's funny. My, um, I talked Tampax to my sister. is making no money on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the strangest thing is like four or five days after I must have conceived, I told my husband, I was like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, come on, Tina, you, d- you don't really know what you feel like yet. And I was like, no, I'm telling you I am. And I said that to my sister and she was like, well, of course you would, because you just managed to skip the hard part and then you go straight <laughs> on to having a baby. And I was like, yeah. She- and then another friend was like, people are going to hate you. You know that, right? And <laughs> so I realized that I am incredibly lucky with that part that now I skip it for different reason but um yeah yeah so it's very exciting I'm uh, very 10 exciting. weeks and wow. um yeah so it's I haven't managed to get away completely unscathed but um for the most part I'm just thankful that um this did kind of happen the way it did yeah, yeah that's yeah. great so it uh you're pretty sick huh that's what I hear yeah, I mean, it's been better. Um, I, yeah, I did end up in the ER one day because I couldn't even keep a sip of water down. It, it kind of got progressively worse. And I kind of understand what people say now about um, you have to keep ahead of it. 
um, because once you kind of get behind and you start feeling nauseous and you start throwing up, you just can't keep enough down to keep it going. So yeah, I ended up in the ER. I am on medication, which I hate and I really want to get off it, but I've tried to come off it a few times and each time the sickness has returned, you know, so much worse the next day. So I've had to accept that, you know, maybe up to the 12 week mark, I'm going to have to just keep taking this medication. Um, And it's made it tolerable. I still feel nauseous at times, but um, it's at least I can keep food down because that was a big concern for me that I was, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. only able to eat like, (laughs) you know, a few saltines and then 20 minutes later, I'd throw it up again. So yeah, yeah, I've definitely had a rough go of it, um, but hopefully it's going to get better as I continue. Well, I got to tell you, Tina, I, I was so sick with all of my pregnancies. I just threw up all yeah. day long. I mean, eight, 10 times a day. I couldn't keep anything down. Tell, so tell them about the garbage can that you oh, use at work. Yeah. So I'm a veterinarian. So I would just carry a garbage can around with me at work so I could throw up. And I mean, I threw up everywhere. Yeah. I, I threw up in the parking lots, out of the car window. Mm-hmm. One time I was going to get money and there was this people standing behind me. I'm throwing up at the ATM. You know, I just, I couldn't help it. And uh I took the Unisom. I don't know if you're doing the antihistamines. That helped some. And then eventually I got fenugrin suppositories uh, with the third baby. Mm-hmm. All three of them really sick. And it lasted for six months. <laughs> it did not go away you at three months. You were supposed to tell Tina that. But, but <laughs> the sicker you are, they say, the healthier the pregnancy. And all my babies were very healthy. And uh, yeah. and all girls. All girl And all girls. Uh-huh, so yeah. maybe oh. that means something. Interesting. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and uh, I, I rocked labor and delivery, so... There, I got that for you. Oh, that's good. So, so you got the, you, I predict the bad that for you. Part out of the way in pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. But God, <laughs> just yeah, all day long, couldn't do anything but throw up and sleep. It was awful, and I felt really depressed mm-hmm. and awful. And people, people don't understand, Tina. They don't understand. Yeah. Well, oh, I gosh. think the toughest part that I found was um, when you normally get like a sick bug, you say to yourself, "Okay, just get to tomorrow. It'll be better tomorrow. You know, this is the worst mm-hmm. day. I'll just kind of starve myself so I." get rid of it all you know I'll throw up a bit of bile and then I'll be done and then it'll be out of my system whereas this you have to you keep throwing up you know that it could people mm-hmm. try and comfort you and say oh you know probably only be bad another six weeks and you're like that is a long time of feeling like this and I yeah. have to keep eating immediately after I throw up so yeah it's it's uh definitely not what I expected and I do have a lot more like empathy now for um mm-hmm. my sister has continued to remind me that I didn't give her any sympathy last year so um, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I definitely feel a bit uh I understand what everyone is talking about now with well, all day sickness on- not just morning yeah. yeah, throw up on her the next time you see her. And the old, one of the things that helped me, and just to give you my, my little tip, was Coca-Cola. I mean, it's the best thing, right, for your growing baby mm. is to have caffeine-laden Coca-Cola. Yeah. But it would give me about five minutes of, like, not being nauseous. So if you're wow. desperate, yeah. go five. grab a Coke. Wow, wow. Okay. And I'm, wonder, I'm wondering maybe if it's a, a British thing, because isn't that what Kate Middleton, she has the, she had to be on. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. and I look a lot like Kate Middleton, yeah. so but it's brunette. That's what I was implying. It's good-looking brunette. Tina herself is, is yes. British, and you and, look and just she, like Kate Middleton. She's, she's good. She's a brunette, too. Yeah. 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 And good-looking. Yeah. I'm sorry. Exactly. Sure. I actually had a few people say that to me, and especially when I said I thought I was pregnant um, mm-hmm. before I actually, to like my close friends, um, they said, well, of course you would, because you're just like Kate Middleton. You Everything falls in your lap. And I was like, and then so when I got sick, I was like, you did that to me because you told me I was like Kate Middleton and now I'm sick. So. Oh, can you rock a hat? Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I've never actually worn well, you're a, in, a hat, but yeah. You're in Kentucky. You're in Kentucky. Yeah. Don't you go to the Kentucky know, Derby for Derby Day? No, I haven't been yet. I need All to right, go, well, but... Um, I was racing London Marathon every time it was going on. So excuses, excuses, Tina. I mean, come on. Where are your priorities? I know. (laughs) Mint juleps and high heels on turf. We're calling. Yeah. Well, there's no mint juleps anymore, but we can do a non-alcoholic version. 
Right, That's right, right, right. So um, I want to wrap up our conversation with you, um, having you expound a bit on this wonderful declaration that you wrote on your website, tinamuir.com. Um, and you wrote, mm-hmm. another thing I want to remind you is that you are so much more than a runner. I had to learn this the hard way as my identity was so tangled up in being an elite runner, but you're a wonderful, beautiful person for who you are, not what you do. And I just really love yeah. that. And just uh, really a wonderful thing to write. So if you could kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so it was something that, you know, I kind of initially just wrote kind of for myself to reassure myself. But then I realized pretty quickly that so many of us, like, you know, it doesn't matter what level, how often you run or whatever, whatever you're doing in running. I realized that we just tend to identify ourselves as a runner. And, and that's a wonderful thing that we can say we're runners and we're like a pack and we're a group. But then, you know, if you get injured or you can't do it or something goes wrong, you just end up feeling terrible about yourself because you feel like you've got nothing left to offer the world but you know I've been trying to remind people to just be themselves to be brave and you know not look at others because I think that's the source Mm -hmm. of it for me was this comparison we have to other people you know and as I mentioned earlier we've got this you know Instagram Facebook world where everyone paints this perfect picture of what their life is like and it makes us not feel good about ourselves so Mm -hmm. I just try and remind people that you know you are beautiful as you are and you don't need to you know be a runner to be appreciated or to be you know respected you you know that's a part of you it's something you do but it's yeah not who you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. And now that you're pregnant and starting this new journey, I'm sure you really feel that. Yeah. It's, um, when I first stopped running, I was terrified that people would suddenly stop respecting me. And I thought that everyone would be like, oh, you know, she's a has-been. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She didn't even love running enough to keep going. Like, I thought mm. people would just kind of have no interest in me. So, yeah, I definitely had to learn that myself and um, see that, you know, people people don't change and suddenly think you're a bad person if you aren't able to run so mm-hmm. um yeah that was a good learning lesson mm-hmm. yeah well mm-hmm. that's just so wonderful you're pregnant you've got this wonderful journey ahead of you yeah. you're just gonna mm-hmm. love that little baby i'm so happy for you yeah yeah thank you. thank you thank you thank you so much for sharing with us tina and we wish you all the best in your pregnancy and beyond thank you so much i had a great time Now we'd like to welcome Jennifer Carlson, MD, a doctor who studies and treats amenorrhea at Stanford University. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a bit about your work. Um, Sure. So I am to, firstly, I'm I was trained as a pediatrician and went on to do an adolescent medicine fellowship. Um, And currently, a good chunk of my work is clinical work, uh, treating patients who have underlying eating disorders. Mm -hmm. However, there's a huge overlap um, with menstrual irregularities or amenorrhea Mm -hmm. in that population. And I see teenagers and young adults um, with this issue, um, many of whom are athletes and happen to have um, the irregular periods or the amenorrhea. All right, and so go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you go ahead. No, and so research-wise, um, you know, the female athlete triad has always, really since college, been of interest to me in terms of what's going on, and so I have been working on um, different projects, just trying to better understand what is going on with the triad and just how prevalent it is, and, um, and also what the repercussions are. Um, of the triad. And could you uh, take a step back and just tell people what the triad is? Right. So the triad um, or the female athlete triad is a clinical syndrome that was described really formally in 1992. So it's not actually that old. Um, And it was originally described as three conditions. um, And it it was an eating disorder, osteoporosis, and amenorrhea. Mm Mm-hmm. That has really evolved over the last several years to show that it's not necessarily these end stage points of all these three components, but it can really be a spectrum of Mm. issues. So rather than just being an eating disorder, 
it's really more of an energy imbalance. Mm. And, and so it sort of reflects that it might not be that someone has an underlying body image issue and is really actively restricting their intake, but really that they're just not eating enough to compensate for their energy requirements. Mm. The, the amenorrhea evolved to menstrual irregularities, meaning it could be somebody is just skipping some periods, not necessarily losing their period altogether. And then instead of osteoporosis, which is really, you know, kind of the end stage of that bone development, um, it now could be just low bone mineral density for compared to what would be expected for that person at their age. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how the triad has evolved. And everything's really kind of interrelated to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when Tina was talking a little bit about... Um her situation she was talking about how she really felt so she didn't have a period for nine years and she was saying how she really felt fortunate to not get a stress fracture during any of that time and is that is that you know is the female athlete triad one of the reasons why um experts think so many top caliber runners have so many stress fractures yeah exactly so when we're talking about amenorrhea in in athletes, usually the number one cause is the formal term is hypothalamic suppression, or basically the part of the brain is um, saying that there's some kind of stress going on, mm-hmm. and it's basically shutting down all the hormones. Hmm. And so that results in really having a low estrogen state, mm-hmm. and then you don't have a period, mm-hmm. or you have irregular periods. Um, but one of the side effects or one of the the effects of having a low estrogen state is that your bones are really not able to build up to where they should be. Um, and for a lot of runners who, you know, are often in their, you know, teens and early 20s, you know, really exercising quite um passionately, we could say, um, that's also the time of optimum bone growth. And so mm-hmm. if you're not getting the estrogen during those critical critical times, you're, you're just sort of setting yourself up for having a low overall bone mineral density. And, and that there's sort of a point of no return where your body is not really going to make any more, any more bone. And then you're just more susceptible to stress fractures, um, as well as just full on traumatic fractures, mm. uh, for the rest of your life, really. Mm-hmm. Do you also see a decrease in height? Like, do these girls not grow as much? Yeah. So in our, in our younger kids, um, we do see people, um, really not, not grow at the expected rate. Mm-hmm. And it's always a little tricky because we don't know where people ultimately will be. Right. Right. There's, there's, you can predict, but it's really plus or minus several inches on either side. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely see people who are of lower height than we would expect them to be. And it's thought that is that overall energy deficit mm-hmm. causing that mm-hmm. and impacting overall growth, um, including of the bones. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause a lot of girls are going to be, uh, going into eating disorder type type of thinking, uh, right around the time they get their periods, right? So their first periods, and that's when they're going to be getting their maximum growth. So they're right. probably suppressing that. Right. And yeah, unfortunately, sort of those, you know, the peak of kind of issues with eating disorders and of a lot of growth sort of have a huge overlap, um, which can have a lot of effects on growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is the range that you see girls be affected by amenorrhea like i mean do some of them have and women yeah let's and women okay yeah women women, yeah like i mean will some of them have fairly normal bmis or is it always going to be low no so that's what's really interesting um that i do think the amenorrhea and and just to back up for a minute there are other reasons that runners can have amenorrhea that's not related just to the energy deficit yeah so there are thyroid you know thyroid problems or um Good point. PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or or other issues that, you know, any woman could have that could also be affecting the periods. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about the the low estrogen state as the reason for the periods, um, interestingly, you you would not always be able to pick out the athletes who or the runners who have these issues. Um, For sure, we see very thin women. Mm-hmm. Um, who are having these problems. But occasionally it can be somebody who looks like a relatively normal weight, and yet their overall energy intake has just been off enough hmm. to cause the suppression of their hormones. And that's that's where it gets, I think, trickier sometimes for athletes and for athletes' families to really see what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. So yep. there can be some vari- variation per person. Exactly. And, you know, Uh the natural um, body weight for any given person really varies as well. You know, you can have a runner who's 5'4", but what an appropriate body weight for that one runner is might be very different than another runner who's 5'4". And sometimes just the matter of, you know, five pounds can be the difference between having a period and not. Wow. Wow. And also, and also, uh, I mean, does stress enter into it? Or is that something then that is becomes a that's not what you look at and you're thinking emotional stress versus yeah, like i mean if stress. they're going through like a woman going through a divorce or you know right, ca- yeah. caring for a, a parent and you know or, or moving or something like that yeah so i do think emotional stress and any major stressors including other medical stressors um can cause you know a skipping of a period and I think the the typical example is like college students during final exams and a lot of students just get kind of wacky periods or they miss a period for a month Mm. or so, but, but usually it's fairly short lived. Mm. It's not, you know, six to 12 months of amenorrhea. It's maybe skipping a month or being a little bit later one month. Um, but then things resume to kind of the normal cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're having more sustained lack of periods and we consider, um, Really, if you go three months without a period, we start considering that to be what we call secondary amenorrhea, meaning you used to have regular periods, but now but now they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get a little bit more concerned mm-hmm. um, that something's off. Mm-hmm. What causes a secondary amenorrhea? Same thing? Yeah, I mean, the same. It can be, you know, the energy mismatch. Again, like the thyroid hormones, there's a whole range of, of reasons for the secondary amenorrhea. But what I see at least most typically um, in our athletes is really um, due to the energy imbalance, really just not getting in enough energy in the form of calories mm-hmm. uh, compared to what they're expending in their workouts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I suspect there's some mother runners who are listening who are thinking it sounds like kind of a sweet deal not to have a period, you know, and that, <laughs> right. that so could you please talk about why having amenorrhea is different than say not having periods because you're using an IUD, you know, like what are the health concerns with it. Right. So the big difference here um, compared to an IUD or to some people will do continuous cycling on uh, birth control pills uh-huh. in order to skip months of periods. And and I get it. It's super convenient. <laughs> but, <laughs> but all of those states are not really um, a low estrogen state for the body mm-hmm. versus when it's the amenorrhea um, secondary to just kind of more chronic um, mismatch of energy needs, you know, just not eating enough mm-hmm. um, for the level of, of exercise. That causes that low estrogen state, and that's where you start having, you know, stress fractures, bone injuries, as well as muscular injuries mm. at increased rates that really could, you know, potentially sidetrack your kind of performance or just ability to run, mm-hmm. you know, if you have some of these injuries. Mm-hmm. And does it also affect sleep or no? the low estrogen state? Not that I am aware of. Hmm. Just, as a, just as a postmenopausal woman. Yeah, and I was thinking how, the same thing. How crappy <laughs> I sleep. I'm like thinking, well, those people must not sleep very well. Or if they, do they even have any kind of like menopausal symptoms because of their low estrogen state, like sweats or anything like that? So I, I've usually had more reports of kind of like the hot, the hot flashes mm-hmm. when hormones are coming back. Oh. It's what I've heard from patients is that when their estrogen levels are actually starting to normalize, that's when I've heard from people that they actually have more symptoms. Mm. Um, yeah, but I have not really heard any reports of it when it's um, in the low estrogen state from the kind of the energy mismatch. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So for runners of a certain age, like you're getting into that perimenopausal period, how would you tell, or is it even important to tell whether you're getting amenorrhea or just going into menopause? Right. And I, and I, I think part of it is just sort of tracking your periods um, and seeing, you know, what exactly is going on. Um, and there's lots of apps now. I mean, some people still use kind of their paper calendars, but there's lots of great apps that are, are actually pretty cool um, in terms of tracking and doing calendars to figure out what's going on with your cycles. But the other thing I think is to really take a, 
a hard look sometimes at your diet and what you're doing in terms of how you're eating. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be a one-time meeting with a dietitian or a nutritionist just to say, like, am I getting the proper balance? Am I getting just the overall amount of nutrition that I need for the type of workouts I'm doing? Because um, really, appropriate nutrition is probably the number one factor in maximizing performance overall, as well as keeping your body healthy um, in terms of the hormone part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so do you... Do you see women who are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, that sort of thing, who are maybe just stepping up their mileage for the first time? Maybe they're training for a marathon or an ultra marathon. I mean, because talking to Tina, I mean, she definitely encountered a lot of women who were surprising, what we might think of as a surprising case of amenorrhea. Yeah, I I think it's, it, I think it's extremely surprising how often you see this. Mm-hmm. And I will say personally, I was, um, I was on crew, a crew team when oh, I was in college. Nice. Again, I was a rower too. And, oh, <laughs> and so was Dimity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was, I was a lightweight rower for a very brief amount of time before I realized I, I don't actually want these weight requirements. <laughs> um, but even looking at the heavyweight rowers and again, you know, this is not necessarily where people are tiny people. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, didn't have periods. Wow. And it was assumed that was normal. That meant you were working out hard enough. Mm. Um, and all of us sort of accepted that as, as a normal thing, but really it's, it's not <laughs> like you should be ha- able to have a period if you are eating appropriately for your level of exercise. And so sometimes I think it can be runners who are stepping up their mileage, stepping up their intensity mm-hmm. such that they are burning more calories without making the appropriate change in their diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, ideally, everybody is kind of eating what we call intuitively, and I put that in quotes, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're hungry, you eat, you're full, you stop, and everything balances out really nicely. Um, I, I think a lot of those cues can sometimes get pretty mixed up for a variety of reasons. And, you know, there's body image issues, but I think there's also a lot of, you know, this, I want to eat really clean. Um, mm-hmm. And and often people are eating a large amount of food, but if you look at what the actual calorie content of that food is, it's, it's not that high. Um, right. So you can have a huge plate of broccoli and sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and be and be physically full, and yet you've eaten about 400 calories. Mm-hmm. And that's some that's nowhere near you know the calorie needs to cover someone who's running you know 50 miles a week. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of being aware of that. And, and what do you tell people who are trying to eat clean, who maybe are a little bit worried about, oh, I don't want to add in a bunch of like empty calories or just eat a bunch of junk. Like how can they turn that plate of, you know, kale and sweet potatoes into something that will provide them the calories that their hardworking body needs? Right. I, so I will say I'm somewhat skewed because I come from the perspective, like really everything in moderation, Uh we, you know, not necessarily junk, but maybe just don't eat tons of that cake. Yeah. (laughs) But it's okay to have a a slice of cake. A red flag. You know, people are like, I got to be clean eating all the time that there's more going on. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so I think what I have found is that a lot of my clean eaters are also often avoiding fats. Mm-hmm. And like olive oil is not a bad thing. Nuts, avocados, hummus, those are all if you know kind of healthy foods that also, you know, pack a decent amount of calories in a small amount of space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if instead of eating just a plain steamed sweet potato, if you roasted that in olive oil, mm-hmm. you're gonna be upping the calorie content pretty high mm-hmm. um, or higher than it was and um, just getting in more nutrition without really having to increase the volume of food that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I think working in nuts, um, cheeses, uh, oils, Mm -hmm. and again, your body, your body does need fat. Um, It's so important in terms of just making hormones to have those, you know, to have the fat there, Mm -hmm. Um, especially for our younger growing growing people, but even for our, um, you know, kind of older athletes, I think it's important as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I ascribed to that, but no, I, <laughs> <laughs> Molly, who, I also... Molly, who had Twinkies yesterday yeah. at lunch. <laughs> and, th- and then I thought about having a cupcake after, but I got too tired to eat the cupcake. Otherwise I would have had the cupcake, but, uh, hey, so I also, you know, 
Good. I was going to say, just in our food culture, you know, food is such a social thing for us. Um, and, and it, it kind of kills me when people say, oh, I can't go out to pizza, you know, with my friends, or mm -hmm. I can't have a piece of my child's birthday cake. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you can. Yeah. You really can. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so if if uh, women or girls have an IUD or an implant and they're not getting a period, how would they know whether they're amenorrheic or not? Right. So that becomes very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say also just including, you know, being on birth control pills, yeah. because if you're on just a monthly birth control pill, mm. you're going to have a period um, sort of regardless of weight and hormone status. So I have seen um, women who are markedly underweight mm -hmm. and who would not be having periods unless they were on the birth control no, pill. That's and now that they're on the birth control pill, they're having a regular period and in sort of giving that getting that false assurance that everything's okay because they're having monthly periods. And really it's the medication. Mm -hmm. It's not their actual body. Um, and the estrogen in that birth control pill does not work in the same way as your body's own innate estrogen on bone health. Oh, I was and thinking so maybe that was protective. It's, it's yeah. Oh, okay. um, and I do think that a while ago, and, and even now by some physicians, it's sort of the, the natural instinct, oh, you know, a woman's having irregular periods, let's put her on the pill to normalize things. And it will cause normal periods, but it may not actually correct or address the underlying issue causing the abnormal periods. So I still see lots and lots of patients who are coming to me put on the pill, not for any kind of birth control purposes, but really to correct the abnormal periods, mm -hmm. which really they just needed to be eating more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that's when you really have to look at other factors um, and looking at overall, how have overall weight trends been going? What is someone's heart rate, blood pressure looking like? Mm -hmm. um, just kind of their overall level of energy. Um, so really trying to look at other uh, clinical clues for how their body's doing in terms of overall energy status. So you mentioned uh, heart rate in there. Does it, would it be going up or down? If right. So again, this is also super tricky when it comes to runners in particular, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because we do know you know highly trained runners tend to have lower heart rates mm -hmm. than than people who aren't exercising, and so we do. There are thresholds for when is a heart rate too low, and oh. that it's not indicating just good you know, cardiac health, mm -hmm. but maybe it's actually the energy imbalance kicking in. Oh. Um, so what we use in our teenagers and sort of young adults, and I will say, again, this is, you have to look at this in the context of everything else that's going on, but we consider less than 50 to actually be abnormal. Oh. Um, and some in different groups, depending on which group you're looking at in terms of their recommendations, some say less than 40 or 45. Mm -hmm. So once you're, for sure, if you're less than 40, that's a red flag, like, huh, yeah. <laughs> that's a low heart rate. Mm -hmm. And I would say even in the 40s um, is unusual. It happens, um, but low to mid 40s, I, that always puts a red flag also for me that let's just sort of explore what else is going on here. Mm -hmm. And so that's something women could be tracking at home just to make sure they're not super low. Yeah, but I do know that a lot of runners are also tracking it as a measure of their training and their performance. So yeah. they're actually yeah. happy to see it dropping because it means that they're, right. you know, more in a better in a better health status, which is is sort of true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's really again, you know, kind of looking at the context of everything else. And so if a if a runner is, you know, eating well, at a normal weight, feeling good, good energy, periods are normal and their heart rate's forty seven, I'm not particularly concerned about that. Mm -hmm versus, you know, a runner has actually lost a bit of weight, maybe they're concerned about their eating or more um, aware of their eating than typical or friends or family are commenting about their eating. Uh -huh. um, then, you know, a heart rate that's starting to drop would make me a little bit more worried uh -huh. that it's dropping because of the energy imbalance rather than just cardiac fitness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for, for women who might think or know that they are amenorrheic, what steps do you suggest they take to get help? Yeah. So I think, you know, for people who this is not an intentional 
weight loss, you know, coming to the amenorrhea, I think first just going to your doctor and just seeing, is there anything else going on? You know, is there a thyroid disorder? Is there some other hormonal imbalance that could be causing the amenorrhea? If those things are not the case, and if it's really potentially more diet related, I think seeing um, a skilled dietitian who specializes Mm -hmm. in athletes um, and eating can be incredibly helpful because I think sometimes it's really just an information lack in terms of what an athlete needs for their level of exercise. Hmm. Um, and sometimes making that diet switch is a huge, is a huge change and, and it really helps normalize periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we're not often talking about like a 20 pound weight gain. Sometimes this can be pretty subtle, mm-hmm. you know, a three to five pound weight gain and it's the difference between having periods or not. Wow. 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 And if they have anxiety about eating, there may be more going on and maybe see a mental health practitioner right. and, and, and I often talk with athletes who, if if I'm seeing an athlete and they're really denying any intentional weight loss or any body image issues, um, and we make some you know dietary recommendations, if they're able to to do it, great. But if if someone really can't make those dietary changes, um, that's when I start getting again more concerned that there's more of a a true eating disorder going on, and and that is helpful then to have. Um, therapy involved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to to sort of address, okay, so what's going on here and how can we sort of work on making these changes that are just so important for your overall health? Yeah, because mm-hmm. there can be a lot of anxiety with that and learning how to deal with your anxiety in a healthy way is a, a lifelong skill that will take you lots of places. Exactly. And you know, wrong for people with eating disorders, therapy really, yep. it, it really works. Yeah, I've, I've just known people uh, that have had eating disorders, and uh, they've been able to get help and deal with the anxiety and the lessons they learned uh, in therapy to deal with anxiety have been something those women have been able to take throughout their lives and uh, click into when anxiety producing events occurred again. And so, you know, if they may not even know they have anxiety around the eating until they get some help, but that can lead to uh, more pleasure in the rest of their life all the way around. So they shouldn't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Right. And I, I just to stress, I think eating disorders um, are still somewhat stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wish they weren't because it's not, this is not something someone is choosing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that getting help can make a huge difference for multiple facets of someone's life. Um, and I think a lot of people are dealing with it and just really hesitant to reach out and get help. Yeah, I think it's really uh, common in the running community and gymnastics and all these sports. It, it ties in together, just like you said, that triad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's been some kind of comparisons, especially when we're talking about more elite level athletes. But, you know, a lot of the kind of the personality features that allow someone to be mm-hmm. training, you know, and doing some of these extreme trainings may also really sort of set that person up to be more susceptible to eating disorders. It's a lot of that same self-restraint and Mm -hmm. and really dedication and focus. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, you know, being aware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not mom's fault anymore, is it? They've gotten away from that. (laughs) So, um, Are we blaming dads? No, we're not doing, we're not blaming anybody. (laughs) But I'll say even, even since, you know, the time that I've been in, in training and doing this, which is about, oh gosh, 15 years now, um, we have really shifted. And, you know, there's a huge genetic component to eating disorders. And we see things that run in families. This is not, you know, a person, you know, causing an ultra competitive environment that's caused their daughter or son to develop an eating disorder. There is a true genetic component to it. Um, But also, you know, it's a perfect storm of of things that happen that Mm -hmm. cause people, people to get it. And it is not because a comment that a mom or a dad made or... Yeah, it know. is not one thing. No, it mm-hmm. really it really isn't. And parents are not to blame for this. Family members aren't to blame for it. And really, parents are probably the best tool we have to helping um, uh, people recover. Mm-hmm. And, and we're really yeah. embracing that now as involving families in that recovery process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. All right. So, and um, to wrap it up, are there any other aspects of amenorrhea that you think we should be, that we've skipped over, that we should really be impressing upon mother runners? 
Yeah, I think the number one thing is is really that, you know, periods in the medical community, we now talk about periods should be one of the vital signs that, oh. you know, we don't just talk about heart rate or temperature or blood pressure. We ask about periods Good. because it is, it is a sign of your overall health. And if you have been a normal period person your whole life and those start becoming abnormal, you need to ask why that is your body is telling you something's going on and it could be a very natural part of perimenopause menopause. Mm -hmm. But if that is not your age group or if that's not what's going on, it's, it's, it warrants having um, a further discussion or further evaluation of what's happening. Yeah, so pay attention. Yeah, good. Good note to end on. Thank you so much, Jen. You're really um, enlightening on this topic. Absolutely. Oh, thanks so much. This is one of, I'm passionate about this topic, so love talking about it. All right, well, let's head on over and hear what Dimity and the other ladies in the Train Like a Mother Club are up to. Hello, hello everybody, it's Dimity here with the Train Like a Mother Club Corner. Um, we're coming this week to you from the Simply Nourished Like a Mother program, which is our nutrition program, which is led by the most excellent sports dietitian, Ellie Freeman. And uh, this is Rebecca writing, and she is writing in the middle of July, just like we are now. And uh, she says, I'm fresh off the vacation train, rested, refreshed, and missing my veggies. The funniest thing that happened that only this group will appreciate, we were camping and midweek we planned on laundry. My husband asked me where the laundry detergent was in the car and I tell him it's in the back. He nicely heads out to the laundromat, comes back and I'm smelling the clothes thinking, man, glad my washer at home is better than this. The next day we're having a random conversation and I ask him where the laundry detergent is and he points to the bag with a stash of collagen powder I brought along. Yep. Our clothes were washed in collagen, <laughs> which is just so funny. And you will think it's particularly funny if you are a Simply Nourished alum or you want to join the Simply Nourished group. Um, we have the next round of this nutrition program starting at six weeks. Um, it breaks down all the macronutrients and helps you learn how to eat them in an order that is beneficial for both your body, mind, and spirit. And um, it's really fun and there's a lot of interaction and I promise you that you will walk away with a new perspective on your nutritional habits and how to eat for a lifetime. This is not a quick fix or a 30-day diet or anything like that. It is um, Simply Nourished Like a Mother teaches you how to eat for life and for your running and for sanity, quite um, quite actually. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, the next round starts on um, July 24th, Monday, July 24th, and ends right before Labor Day. So if you have um, interest in joining us, head to the trainlikeamother.club page and, um, and you can sign up there. All right. Have a great week, everybody, and I will catch you next week. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love if you could leave a positive review for it on iTunes. It helps other runners find our show. We really appreciate the support. Our podcast is a member of the ACAST network and our show today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm -hmm.